listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 15, 1 through 3, and 11 through 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had, all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property and dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to to spare, but here I am, dying of hunger." I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran out and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son, then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet, yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But, then, but when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and now he's been found. Thanks, Tom. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's a bit of a weak response, but that's okay. I won't hold that against you. <clears throat> So uh, my son Zeke turned two this past week, which is pretty fun, pretty cool. We didn't like throw a party or anything like that for him because he has no clue what's going on. Um, but we did, we had a little cake and we sang happy birthday to him after dinner. That was really fun. Um, my son is at this point as a two-year-old where like he's starting to say more and more words, um, but he can't really communicate yet exactly. Like he's not very conversational, um, especially like, like if you ask him a question He can tell by the tone of your voice that it's a question, but his response is usually just the last word of your question. He'll just repeat it. 
So like if, if I ask my son, how was your day at school? He'll be like, school. Or um, what did you have for lunch? Lunch. You know, that's, that's kind of the level um, that we're at. And the day after his birthday, I, I got him up in the morning, got him out of his crib, and I was like, good morning, Zeke. How does it feel to be two years old? And he was like, old. <laughs> Which, like, thinking about it, turning two is the only birthday where your age literally doubles, right? I mean, if, if we were all twice as old at our next birthday, if I turned 68 in July, we'd have a problem. So, so maybe he does feel old. Who knows? Anyway, that's my cute story about the kids for this week. Our passage for today is another story about kids, but it is not nearly as cute as mine. Uh, We've been looking at the parables of Jesus for a while now, um, almost two months, and this one, the prodigal son, this is a famous one. This is like vintage Jesus. Uh, This story has to be up there with like the Good Samaritan for like Jesus' most famous teachings. And I am actually curious, how many people here have heard the story of the prodigal son or at least heard of it? You have some familiarity with this story. That is just about everybody. Wow. See, we know this story. And if you don't, if you just raised your hand to give in a pressure, you're going to know this story in about 10 minutes. Um, but most of us have heard this one before. And we usually hear it unpacked in the exact same way. So there's this son, and one day he goes up to his father, and he's like, Dad, I would like my inheritance now, please. Which is a not-so-veiled way of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'd be better off if you just died and gave me my inheritance. So how about you give me the money now? And the crazy part of this story is the father actually does it. The father gives his son this inheritance. The father would have sold off maybe a third of his land or taken a third of his investments and gives it to the son. And then the son goes off and he squanders it. He wastes it. And then a famine hits. And the son finds himself destitute, starving, penniless, and he comes to his senses, and he thinks, my father's slaves have it better than me. Maybe if I go home and beg for forgiveness, my father will take me on as a slave. So the son returns home, humbled, and the father sees his son when he's still a ways off, and the father just runs toward him. He, like, sprints at him. Now, um, in this culture at this time, a son who, who um, dishonored his family in this way could be put to death. You could be stoned. So Jesus might be messing with his audience here. You know, he might want them to assume that maybe the father's going out to kill the son, or uh, it could be that someone else on the property sees the son coming, and the father wants to get out there before this other person takes matters into their own hands. Either one of those is possible. However we understand it, though, the father reaches his son, and he wraps his arm around him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He puts a fine robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger, and he throws a big party in his son's honor, saying, this son of mine was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and he came back to life. It's a beautiful story. It's a story about redemption. It's a compelling story. This, this version of the story we've been told where God is the father and we're the prodigal son, we're the child who returns home to receive forgiveness, it's an incredible story. It's beautiful. And I'm not going to take that story away from you today. If the prodigal son is a story that's been like a major part of your faith story, that's amazing, and I want to honor that. 
but I also want to peel back the layers a little bit. I want to examine this story a little bit more closely because this is super familiar. And I want to see if there's anything we've missed, anything we've overlooked in this really, really familiar story. That's what I want to do today. Not challenge the traditional reading of it. That's fine. Hold on to that. But I want to go a little bit deeper and see if we unearth anything we haven't noticed before. First thing we've got to talk about as we peel back the layers of this story are the economic implications of a story like this. Now, if you've been here for the past couple months as we've been going through all these parables of Jesus, you're probably getting sick of hearing about all the economic implications of these stories. Because these parables, especially in Luke's gospel, are just loaded with economic language and economic ideas. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the rich fool, right? This story about a rich guy who tears down all of his barns and builds bigger ones to store all of his stuff only to die the very next day. That's an economic story. That's a story that speaks like directly to our world and our economy sort of as it exists today, what we value and maybe what we shouldn't value. We looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan a few weeks back. This is a story about a man who's robbed and left to die at the side of the road. There's some economic stuff there. And then a Samaritan comes along and rescues him, using his own money, his own resources, to make sure that this stranger is cared for. That's an economic story. Last week, we looked at the two parables that come right before this one, the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, which are all about value. We talked about that last week. The lost sheep and lost coin are stories about people living in incredible poverty who lose things not many other people would value, a sheep and a coin, and about how valuable those things are to them. And there are some pretty big economic implications to the story of the lost son as well. This whole thing starts over inheritance money, right? Like the inciting incident of this story is an ungrateful kid asking his dad for his inheritance and then going off and wasting it. And there's a lot we could talk to right there about that. But I actually think it's helpful to contrast the father's reaction to the prodigal son with the brother's reaction and work through some of the economic ideas at work there. The father shows grace. He welcomes the son home. He celebrates him. He throws a big party in his honor. His reaction is one of love and joy. The older brother's reaction is a little bit different. We have it in verses 29 to 30, which will be on the screen. This is the older brother, the one who stayed behind, talking to his father about the prodigal son, okay? For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Whoa. <laughs> like, when I read that, I just hear the anger there. That's an intense line. This son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. There's something we miss a lot in this story that I want to point out. 
This is the first mention we have of prostitutes in the entire story. If you go earlier in the passage to what actually happened about the son, there's no mention of prostitutes or of anything inherently immoral. If we go back to verse 13, here's what we find. This is about the prodigal son. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. He squandered his property in dissolute living. Some Bible translations will say he squandered his property in debaucherous living, which sounds really bad, and is actually like way worse than what this passage actually says, what the the Greek, the original language says. Older English Bibles are a bit closer. They usually say something to the effect of he squandered his property in prodigal living. That's where we get the, the, the title of the story, the prodigal son. And prodigal means excessive, wasteful. In this context, we might even say foolish. He squandered his money foolishly, lavishly, wastefully. This guy failed to live within his means. That's what happened. There's nothing inherently immoral or like evil going on here, right? Um, It doesn't say that he gambled his money away or he blew it all on cocaine and prostitutes. Like that's that's not the line. Just as he wasted it. The prodigal son's problem isn't immorality, it's stupidity. He didn't balance his checkbook right. He overdrew his account. How many of us have been there? We won't, we won't make you show hands. <laughs> he didn't budget properly. Maybe he got swindled by a friend who like, promised him about this new opportunity to make some fast cash and got ripped off. He wasted it. Then a famine hits, and this son becomes an economic refugee. He's hungry, he's penniless, he's starving, and he shows up at the gate. He shows up at the edge of the property. He shows up at the border of this land, looking for work, looking to survive. How would we react? How do we react? I mean, let's get honest. There are economic refugees all over the place. In our community, in our country, at our border. Some are immigrants. Some are just citizens who fell on hard times. Maybe they're homeless. Maybe they're a family. Maybe they made a dumb decision and lost their money. Maybe they're just the working poor. See, we tend to treat poverty like it's a character flaw. We meet someone who's broke, and we just assume there's something wrong with them. They didn't do it right. They must have wasted their money. They must deserve what's happening to them. You don't see me asking for handouts. They'll just waste it all on booze and drugs anyway. Sometimes we sound an awful lot like the older brother who just assumes that the prodigal son blew it all on prostitutes. 
This story has implications for how we treat the poor, for how we view the poor, for our posture toward the poor in our own hearts. Do we take the posture of the Father who responds in grace and kindness? Or are we more like the older brother who views the prodigal son with jealousy and suspicion? And we've got to talk about this older brother. Can we talk about him for a minute? That's a big part of the story that often gets overlooked. I kind of feel bad for the brother. Does anyone else like feel bad for him? Yeah. The opening line of this parable is, there was a man who had two sons. But we've been really taught to focus on the younger son, the prodigal son, the one who went away, the one who was lost. When maybe the meaning of this parable at least for some of us, lies in the other son. The good son. The son who stayed behind and did what he was supposed to. Let's not forget the setup for this parable. We included that in our reading today very deliberately. Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of sinners, right? A bunch of outcasts, nobodies, religious outsiders. And the religious leaders see this and they are scandalized by it. What's this guy doing, this holy man, this prophet, this respected teacher, associating with people like that? And Jesus responds by telling these religious insiders three stories. One about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. We talked about the sheep and the coin last week. If you weren't here, you can hear that sermon online. The message of those two stories that they would have sent to these snobby, elitist, religious folks is that these things you've discarded, these people you've pushed to the side and devalued, they actually have a ton of value to God. That's the lost sheep and the lost coin. The third parable about this father and his sons takes that and amplifies it. It turns up to 11, and it flips it on these religious leaders. We usually call this story the parable of the prodigal son, or maybe the lost son. I think we should call this story the father who lost his sons. Because there are two sons in this story. And make no doubt about it, they are both lost. The prodigal son is lost in the way we typically think about people being lost He's far away, he's wandering, he's left the Father behind, he's left God behind. He's trying to do it on his own. He's trying to navigate this life without God, and he's getting beat up. The prodigal son would be the unclean, the sinner, the unbeliever, the kind of people that these religious leaders are just shocked to see Jesus associating with. But there's another way to find yourself lost. There's another path to lostness that usually flies under the radar, even though it's just as destructive and maybe even just as common as the way we're more familiar with. And that's when you get lost inside the system. When you're maybe part of a church, you're part of a community, you're going to worship, you're serving, you're singing the hymns on Sundays, you're doing all the right things. You even maybe have a relationship with God but you're still lost. 
You're just lost on the inside. Maybe it's resentment or competitiveness, the urge to compare yourself to someone else. Maybe you're carrying immense guilt or shame from your past, and that's putting some sort of wall between you and God. Maybe you're insecure about your own faith, or you have doubts, so you've become a sort of doctrinal police officer, right? Having to check the boxes for everybody else. Maybe you just have a messed up, unhealthy view of God. Maybe you believe in a God who's always angry, always in a rage. A God who's out to get you. A God who's always asking for more. A God you will never measure up to. That's the deal with this older son. The one who's mad at his father for welcoming the other son back into the fold. Let's look at that line from the older son one more time. It was up here a second ago. There it is. I've highlighted a different part. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. These are the words of someone who's competing, someone who's been working, trying to earn something, someone who's already convinced themselves that they're not good enough, so they look for approval in someone else's eyes. What do we actually know about this father? He gave one son his entire inheritance when he asked for it. That's pretty generous. Then when that son came back, he showers him with love and grace. So this father is loving, gracious, generous, and forgiving. But that's not what this son assumes. To hear him tell it, his father is a tyrant. This son sees the party going on, and his first reaction is how unfair, which totally misses the point that there is a party going on, and you're invited too. Two sons, both lost and both provided with a path home. And that path lies in the words of the father. For the prodigal son, the road to salvation looks like this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. For the other son, the good son, the one who's out in the field slaving away, trying to earn something while there's a party going on, the road to salvation looks like this. You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Which of these do you need to hear today? Maybe you're the prodigal. Maybe you've been wandering, you've been lost out in the world, away from God, trying to do it on your own, getting the crap kicked out of you. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. If that's you, I hope you'll hear that message today. But since we're in a church, and you're all here, I suspect there might be more of us who need to hear that other line. You are always with me, and 
all that I have is yours. God is always with you. God has always been with you. God is closer to you now than your own breath. Stop competing. Stop working for it. Stop trying to prove something or earn it. Stop looking down on other people. Stop drawing lines and measuring doctrine. Stop comparing yourself. And trust the words of the Father. You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. Whether we see ourselves in the prodigal son, wandering, alone, desperate for connection to you, or if we see ourselves in the other son, already following you, already in relationship with you, but hindered in some way. God, I pray that you'll find us this morning. Find us in the midst of our lostness and lead us back to you. Help us to see that you are the loving father. You are the loving parent who never gives up on us, never forsakes us, never stops looking for us, and never revokes the invitation to join you at the party. God, whatever obstacles, whatever fear or pride stands in our way, we ask that you'd remove it and help us find our way back to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.